never knew. That was his power. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Back now and here we go again. Spread the words, we the shorty tell a friend. The game changed, but I'm here to break a 10. Them boys play, but I'm here to make amends. Real talk. Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. You are listening to episode 123 being recorded on a snowy Saturday, December 9th. I am your host, Jared Mintz, and if you've been keeping up with the NBA, and this podcast for that matter, you know there are a few topics, teams, and players more worthy of discussion at the moment than the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James. Joining me to talk about the Cavs riding the ship, and despite a tough loss to the Pacers last night, their recent blistering hot 13-game winning streak is one of my favorite Cavs voices. He's the news editor and a staff writer for SB Nation's Cavs blog, Fear the Sword, as well as the co-host of the Chase Down podcast with Justin Rowan. Please welcome to the show, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how's it going? It's going good. It's snowy in Chicago as well, uh, so I'm really uh, dreading going outside, uh, but I just woke up, so I'm just going to... I'm just going to hold it off until I have to go to work. How are you feeling? I don't know if you're a a baseball fan. I know you're in New York. Uh, You got Stanton all of a sudden. I am a big Yankees fan, so uh, I feel pretty good about it. Uh, It's it's a little conflicting. You know, I was kind of feeling good about the direction of the team over the last couple of years, getting a little bit younger, uh, not really spending giant contracts on on major free agents. And for some reason, I, I like when they do that. It feels more organic. I mean, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm not happy the Yankees are, are trading for Giancarlo Stanton. It doesn't look like they're giving up too much, at least not in terms of any of their top-tier prospects. Uh, Starlin Castro is a nice player, but, you know, he was definitely movable. You can say goodbye to Starlin. <laughs> right. Uh, no, I feel great about it. What What is the pulse of the baseball world outside of New York? I mean, does this make the Yankees World Series favorites? How, how do you take this trade? I, I like outside perspective when it comes to the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, I'm no baseball expert, but I mean, it seems pretty insane. You know, like, I, I think, like, your top four home run hitters now hit more than the Red Sox did combined last season. Uh, I think I just saw, uh, you know, I over under five columns that compare them to the Warriors, despite I, it being a completely different sport that doesn't work that way. I already saw the Kevin Durant in the Yankees shirt uh, meme being put out there. I've had people in my mentions calling them the Golden State Yankees already. So you were you were dead on about that. But I mean, look, it's good for any KD slander. So that's fine. <laughs> good, good to know. I don't have that on the rundown, but we might get there at some point. Uh, Warriors are always fun to talk about with non-Warriors people. So we'll we'll see if we wind up getting there. But you know, let, let's get into some basketball. Obviously, I brought you on. I want to talk about the Cavs, but. Before we do that, I like to get my listenership a little more familiar with my guests by doing five random rapid-fire questions. Carter, you told, you told me you were down with this before when we discussed the rundown. You, you still cool to, to do some rapid questions? I guess I, I would really not look very game if I said no. You, you would not. The, the podcast might end hostily if you said no. Yeah. So, so we'll stand right here. It's a terrible episode. <laughs> good, good episode. That's why we don't bring Cavs fans on. Uh, all right. I think this first question is going to get you comfortable. I think it's in your wheelhouse. So let, let's get started with, with question number one. On a scale of one to ten, Carter, how much do you love Britt McHenry, with one being love more than anything in life and ten being hate? Jeez, man. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I mean, come on. This is... This my professional health, I must no comment. Fa- fair enough. Uh, I think, <laughs> but it, but I'm not the biggest fan. <laughs> we'll call it that. All right, we'll end it there. I just wanted to get a laugh out of you. Um, 
Qu question number two. Let's get away from Britt McHenry forever, hopefully. What's the most random song that gets stuck in your head with frequency? Okay, actually, this one's really been locked in on my head recently. Uh, Rich Girl by Hall & Oates was stuck in my head for, like, a month. How does that happen? Well, it popped on, like, some, like, I was listening to some Pandora station, and it popped on. And, damn, that song's amazing. First off, it's a very good song. And if you don't like Hall & Oates, I don't want to talk to you. But that song, it just, like, the intro kind of, like, it just kind of eases you in. And then when they hit the chorus... The don't you know that oh it just gets you going and it was stuck in my head for like a month so that was, that that was an easy answer this guy bringing the pipes i did not expect that also the diversity of my podcast last year last week i'm talking about a uh, gucci gang gucci gang and now we're talking about rich girl it's just amazing I'm, I'm glad that that was your answer question the whitest hispanic you'll ever meet so that makes sense <laughs> that's awesome question number three if you had to banish one breakfast food from existence what would it be Oh, man. Um, don't like grits. Er, um, I, and, you know, you know what? I'll, I am a breakfast enthusiast. You know, this is a tough one, honestly. I just wanted to know if you were overly opinionated. Because some people are like, yeah, pancakes are garbage. Some people, you know. So people who do that, I think, are just like, you're, you're picking a fight you don't need to pick. Like, like pancakes and waffles just have different utilities on the situation. Like waffles, I think, typically pair with like extra stuff better. Like, oh, like if you got some fruit or some, or even like there's a there's a breakfast place here that has a Benedict. They literally just put a fried egg on top of a waffle, and you need the texture. But sometimes, but I like if I'm just eating a plain piece of fried, like. Oh, uh, you know, of, of whatever, you know, of, of batter, I prefer the pancake. But if, if there's any texture or if there's any extra stuff added, give me the waffle. But, yeah, I think you're creating a false dichotomy if you think you have to choose between the two. You don't. It's like cats and dog people. People are so people are so convinced they have to have, like, a right answer. And, yeah, everything's everything's pretty good, man. I like that. I like you bringing the nuance to this conversation. I mean, that, that extends to everything we talk about, where even on Twitter, like, you can't talk about LeBron versus Kobe without having to call one of them trash, where it's like, oh, we're talking about two top five to ten players ever, but sure, one of them is bad just for your argument's sake here. Mm -hmm. Except Kobe is trash. Anyway. Yes, 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 yes. All right, let's move on. I don't know if we're going to be able to top that. Number four, what TV show or movie character have you felt you related to the most in your life? Oh, man. Uh, John Dorian, Scrubs. JD, JD's a good one. Yeah, I, that, that's my rapid-fire answer. I'm sure it's not a perfect comparison, but, you know, the the running inner monologue in the show helps you relate. <laughs> it, it sure does. Yeah, Scrubs is a big Scrubs guy. Scrubs is a good show for sure. I was just talking to somebody about running that back and seeing if it holds the, the test of time. We'll find I literally was watching it yesterday, and, yeah, it's still funny. Awesome. All right, our last question before we get into basketball. Carter, if Space Jam happened in real life, but happened to a sport other than basketball. What sport would you want to see it happen in, and what player would you want to pick to defeat the Monstars? Oh, man. Uh, let's... Here's the thing. I think you want it to be baseball, because baseball, even though it's not my favorite sport, basketball definitely is, baseball is like 
the most niche and ridiculous sport, like in terms of like all these rules that are not as easy to understand. So I think you want to have the aliens trying to figure out how to play baseball. Uh, because I think you have a, you have an advantage there. And then I'm going with Bryce Harper. Like, no disrespect to Mike Trout, but Bryce Harper is way cooler. And honestly, if we're building a narrative, I need someone who is more interesting. He's cool. He'd probably get into a fight with an alien, might not win it. Uh, I can understand that answer. I was thinking more along the lines of football, just because I think Aaron Rodgers is the most freakish, unbelievable athlete I maybe have ever seen in a sport other than basketball. But I like you the base. You really want Bugs Bunny playing left tackle? <laughs> I guess that's a good point. I don't know about Taz. Taz would really uh, do some damage out there. I don't know that any of those guys could hit a baseball for what it's worth. I do like the length. That's a more interesting question is who comprises the offensive line for the, for the Toon Squad? You got to think Foghorn Leghorn's playing center. Got to be out there. I don't know that I trust his coordination, but at least in terms of size and uh, talking, he would definitely be able to talk the, the D-line into into some stuff. I like you going language barrier there. You're looking for something other than the sport. Yeah, I, I think you got you to gotta find any advantage you can. Porky Pig would definitely be right guard. Sorry, I'll stop. I like it. I really like it. Oh my gosh, man. You answer these questions better than I asked them. Shout out to you for that. Now, now let's get into the reason I brought you onto the show. Carter, what's the difference between the Cavs these last few weeks as opposed to the first few weeks of the season? Um, there's a couple of big differences. I think you look at, one, Derrick Rose isn't playing anymore, and that is valuable in a couple ways. Uh, they don't have him ruining LeBron lineups uh, by dominating the ball, not passing, and it allows LeBron to thrive. Excuse me. Uh, it allows LeBron to thrive because he has all this space to work with. Like Jose Calderon is not a starting quality point guard anymore, and honestly, he's barely a rotation and quality player anymore. But what he can do is go to the right parts of the court and make open threes, and screen and cut in the right spots, and like just not mess up. Like your burden of responsibility playing with LeBron really isn't that high. Like you just have to not screw up. And Rose screwed up a lot. Uh, so that helps. Uh, I think Dwayne Wade moving to, to a bench point guard role is an enormous difference. Uh, and figuring out that rhythm uh, with that bench unit. And I think the Cavs are just playing harder. Uh, I think they, I think we, Justin Rowan and I, my co-host on the podcast that we do, uh, Weekly The Chase Down, follow, subscribe please. Uh, review too, leave a review. Yeah, review, that's that's the key. Uh but, uh, you know, we've talked about the fact that the Cavs, you know, famously don't try very hard in the regular season, which, you know, that's fine. Like, a lot of they, they it's worked really well for them not to try in the regular season. But when you're integrating, integrating like, seven new pieces, you can't, you can't rest on your laurels and you can't bank on, you know, your continuity because you don't have it anymore. So you have to work a little harder in the meantime, like, Maybe once they're fully healthy and everyone knows how to play together, they'll be able to, you know, sleepwalk through games a little more. But they weren't able to earlier in the season, and I think it burned them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the offense seems to be flowing a lot more freely. Defense has been a lot better, too, for what it's worth. Over the last 15 games, I think they have a, a top 13 or so defensive rating, which, you know, they were bottom two or so in the league through the first few weeks of the season. But I kind of want to get back to the offensive points that you were making and this was the big question that I had for the team going into the season where, sure, if you're getting Derrick Rose to fill a role where 
he's coming off the bench and you're asking him to score and not really do anything else. You know, maybe you're putting him in some lineups that don't really have the offensive firepower and you're asking him to, to really just, you know, go to the basket, do what you do. Maybe that's a role that could work for him. We've never seen him accept that role. And if you're going to be putting him on the floor with LeBron, who, look, obviously LeBron is the best with the ball in his hands. Derrick Rose can't really do much if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. We just weren't sure how it was going to work. You know, you kind of alluded to the fact that Rose not being around the team has really been something that's helped the offense open up. Obviously, LeBron lineups are better with shooters around him. That's not Derrick Rose's strong point. I mean, do do you think they're going to try to keep Rose away from the team? Do you think it's best for them to keep him away? Do you think he can accept a role not as a scorer? I mean, obviously, he's dealing with bone spurs in his ankle right now. Emotional problems, too, being away from the team. Do do you think we've kind of seen the end of, of Derrick Rose with Cleveland and I'm not insinuating that that's the big storyline here, but this is a big addition by subtraction thing for this team. How much credence do you give to that idea that they're just that much better off without Derrick Rose and that, you know, we kind of saw this thing and it didn't work and we're not going to see it again? Well, you know, in a lot of ways, it's really unfair to Derrick Rose because when he signed, the idea was instant offense off the bench, which would have been an interesting role to see him try, right? Like, he wasn't really supposed to start. It was Kyrie requested a trade, and then Isaiah Thomas didn't was more hurt than we thought. Uh, so, you know, he didn't really get a chance to play the role that we thought he was going to play, but it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, it's It certainly appears that Isaiah Thomas will be back before Derrick Rose is at this point, and Dwayne Wade has been so excellent as the team's backup point guard, and the Cavs are finally outscoring teams when LeBron's on the bench this year, which has never happened before. They've never done that. They've always they've always managed to get absolutely shredded in those minutes. And it in they're winning with him on the bench this year. They're outscoring teams by one point seven points per hundred possessions with LeBron on the bench this year. So you have you cannot get away with messing up with that bench chemistry. So as a result there's nowhere for Rose to go here. Uh, there's, it's, it's not a matter of it's necessary. Derrick Rose, there's no way he can help. It's as, mu- as much as it's they're not going to mess up a good thing, or at least I hope they're not going to mess up a good thing, to try it. Like, they're already good where, where they need him. And we saw at the beginning of the season against starting units that the Rose-Wade combo really cramps your spacing. It doesn't work particularly well. And it's just kind of dueling banjos it doesn't work um so you know in in a lot of ways i feel bad because he wasn't supposed to play the role he played at the start of the season and now that he's coming back there isn't a role for him but there isn't a role for him and that's that's the that's the tough part about playing on a title contender is it's really hard like when when you're trying to win a title you have very little margin for error and it's very competitive and uh, the the world is not built to the the team's rotation is not built to accommodate anyone. It's built to win. Those are all really great points. Um, you know, I, I want to talk about LeBron, but first I want to touch on your point about the bench finally being able to hold it down when LeBron's not out there. Your leaders in this team in net rating are Channing Fry, Kyle Korver, Dwayne Wade, Jeff Green. Those are your top four leaders in net rating. We'll talk about those guys shortly, but again, you know, I, I want to bring up LeBron. He's posting career-high marks shooting from the field and from three. He's averaging the most points on a season that he's posted since the 2009-2010 season. I mean, look, it's LeBron. You expect these things out of him. 
I know he had those comments the other day about people taking him for granted, but do you think LeBron's the MVP favorite so far this season? Obviously, it's December. We can't talk too much about the MVP, but just tell me a little bit about what we're seeing from LeBron and, and how amazing he is, because as an outsider, I mean, I always marvel watching him. I can't imagine what it's like to watch this guy every single night, have him play for you know the team that I cover, love. Talk to me a little bit about what we're seeing from LeBron this year. Yeah, I mean, I've certainly never seen anything like this. He's shooting 43% from three. He's like six percentage points better than Steph Curry right now <laughs> on like five attempts a game. Uh, his free throw form, which has been a disaster most of his time back in Cleveland, is up around 77, 76%, which is more than acceptable. Um, honestly, like the only thing that's down in his game is, is his free throw rate. Uh, and I think a lot of that's just like, you know, not getting great calls, like, and, you know, he complained about that recently, but he's is he's at averaging more shots at the rim than he has in the past, and he's getting less calls. Uh, so, you know, and I don't think he's, like, shying away from contact. <laughs> I don't really think that's what's happening. Uh, I mean, he's never going to be quite as, like, tricky as a Harden uh, at drawing that contact. But that's really the only stat that's lower than it normally is for him. And, of course, turnovers are a little higher with him uh, playing uh, full-time point guard most of the time. Because Calderon's more of just a just an extra body out there at this point. Uh, yeah, I think he's the MVP right now. And but I will say you have to be careful if if you're a betting man like running to your bookie and making that bet is a dangerous one because this is a really fickle award and it's also like you know when they were five and seven and he was putting up crazy numbers he wasn't in the d- debate and like who's to say the Cavs don't tank again like while they're reintegrating Isaiah Thomas. Like, it's a very narrative-based award. The Cavs won 13 in a row while LeBron went crazy. So, of course, he was the MVP. He's probably the MVP frontrunner. But I, re- I don't know about you, but I remember five games into the year when Giannis was the MVP frontrunner because he put together three, four really, really good games. And everyone lost their minds then. So uh, it is a full-season award. And um, I was talking to Ryan Morton, uh, who curates our excellent Fear of the Sword Twitter account, and he kind of made the point, like, the, the award is won or lost in February and March. Like, if you're up in the conversation and you stay great in those months and your team stays great in those months, you'll probably win. But if you have, like, a bad month somewhere in there or your team has a bad month, you'll lose. Uh, so, and, I mean, we saw that happen with Harden last year. So, I do think he's the MVP right now. I think if you're putting betting odds, it's probably him. Uh, but you know, I, who knows? All I know is he's the best player in the world, and uh, I think we're all pretty stunned that that's still the case in year fifteen. Very well said. Again, year fifteen for LeBron James, and he's just not showing any signs of slowing down. I I don't like talking about MVP this early in the season, but I feel like this is a year where it's just it's such a compelling conversation because you know you have Steph and KD who almost cancel each other out. Fairly or unfairly, same token, you have Russell Westbrook, you know, the Thunder are, I don't want to say a mess, but they're not where we expected them to be, and he's sharing his shine with Paul George this year, James Harden sharing his shine with Chris Paul, even though James Harden's been unbelievable and the Rockets have been unbelievable. It feels like there's been voter fatigue around LeBron in the past years where he's still putting up incredible numbers, incredible seasons, carrying teams that you wouldn't necessarily expect him to carry to the heights he's been getting them to. It almost feels like, I don't want to say this would be a Lifetime Achievement Award, but all the all the stars are aligned where 
LeBron can fairly be a part of the conversation again this year, which is just why I like to bring it up and I like to talk about it. And I like to hope we could see him get another MVP because definitely more than, than four seasons of his career was he the best player in the league. And I know you can always have that conversation going about a season and an impact in one season versus, you know, constantly being the unquestionable best player in the league. I just feel like things are, are kind of aligning for him to to really win that again this year. You have Kawhi's injury holding him out for as long as it has. I I don't know. I don't like to put too much stock in it, but that's the reason I bring it up as much as I do and the reason we're talking about it the first week of December. Let, let's move on beyond LeBron because obviously we're not surprised by him. Coming into the season, you looked at this roster you wondered about some of these players and how they would fit around LeBron. Jeff Green, who's a player everybody loves to say, is never as good as everybody thinks he is. Dwayne Wade, weren't sure what we were going to get out of him after looking a little bit older last year. These guys are playing really well. Who are you the most surprised with on this year's Cavs team? No doubter, Jeff Green. That dude has been amazing. Like, in a way that's like, I'm not even being ironic. Uh, he's been so effing good for this team in a way that, like, I just don't think anyone saw coming. Uh, he is hitting, like, 80% of his shots around the rim. Uh, he has completely changed his shot profile. Last year he shot something in the neighborhood of, like, 50% of his field goals were uh, between, like, eight, like 17 and 23 feet. <laughs> like, it was this hideous, like, shot portfolio in Orlando for Green where it was, like, Yeesh, it doesn't seem like he even knows what a good shot is anymore. Oh uh, yeah, here here's his uh here's his splits from last year. He shot sixty five percent of his shots at the rim, but then he shot uh twenty he shot seventeen between three and ten feet, eleven between ten and sixteen, and fourteen between between six I'm sorry, then uh thirty five percent of his shots were threes. Wow. Like, like this guy can't shoot at all, like even a little bit and and like about fifty percent of his shot profile were threes like and he's and he's completely changed that uh this year uh he's shooting seventy six percent of his shots uh at the rim uh i mean it's crazy uh he and this guy still can finish, and he's been a really active involved cutter. Uh, he's not taking a ton of threes. I mean, you can see it. I mean, he's shooting 50% from the field. I mean, this guy's never shot 50% from the field. His the game the book on Jeff Green has always been inefficient volume score, right? Um, he's not a volume score. He's only taking 7.5 shots a game in his 21 minutes, uh, and he's scoring 10 points. Uh, he's been a really useful switchy defender. Uh, he's switched onto guards. He's battled with bigger guys. And, I mean, the dunks, man. The dunks are pretty bonkers. And you just look at that net rating. I mean, that's the thing. He's always put up okay box score numbers, even at his best, even before he had the injuries. Uh, But it very rarely translated to lineup success. And this year, he's one of the most – he's consistently part of some of the best lineups the Caps can throw out there. And I think you have to really appreciate the way he's bought in and – uh, I always joke that the there's kind of I, I call it the Orlando Magic principle, which is if your team is looking at acquiring someone that's playing for the Magic, don't use their stats with the Magic <laughs> because it's a wasteland out there. Uh, they within normally within ten games of the year, they're 
they're out of playoff contention, uh, but they're not so bad they're tanking, so there's no plan. So guys just go out there and dick around for 60 games a year. Uh, you look at Channing Fry's numbers in Orlando. They were terrible. Everyone thought he was washed up. Uh, but when you play in the wasteland, that happens. And I thought I thought Jeff Green could potentially have some value. I mean, there were some people who didn't even want him for the minimum, and I thought, ah, oh, well, let's hold off and see. And I'll, I'll remain skeptical, uh, but let's see. For the minimum, that I thought it was a good flyer, and it really has been. Um, I think, I mean, I would argue he's outplayed Jay Crowder this year, which I don't think any of us saw coming. <laughs> I don't think anybody in the world saw that coming. He's definitely been such a pleasant surprise, not even for you guys, just for the NBA. Good to see this guy, you know, finally play better than everybody expects him to play. I hope it'll last because it's a fun story. I had a lot of... He he said uh, recently, someone just asked him, you know, what the biggest change was in his play. He's like, I I re-found, rediscovered, like, my joy playing basketball, like, I think basketball really became a slog for him in the last couple of years. And, you know, that's the kind of human stuff you don't think about. You know, he got passed around on like four different teams from 2015 to now. And I think jumping from place to place, being hurt, you know, he had the heart condition. Like, I think it's really hard on these guys sometimes. And like, we forget that these are people that have, <coughs> complex emotions and when you're not happy you're not typically performing particularly well at your job and i think that's kind of what happened here and now he's performing very well at his job and i think we're seeing the benefits of playing on a good team and uh as always we're seeing the benefits of playing alongside lebron james because i mean how many how many failures and knuckleheads is that guy fixed Right. No, I mean, and it's funny, you see the the cynics say, oh, LeBron makes guys better when the Cavs get off to a bad start, you know, sarcastically. And then it's like, yes, look at what these players are doing playing on the same team as LeBron, where nobody gives Jeff Green a chance to, to be a good player. Nobody gives Jose Calderon a chance to be an NBA player in the year 2017, almost 2018. It's it's incredible what LeBron does, but shout out to Jeff Green. When I saw you standing out for him the other night, I was like, I got to get this guy in the podcast to talk about this. So I I love that. I love the energy around him. You know, I I like that you also brought up the human element to to sports and to this team. Another guy who's really stepped his game up in a big way this year, who I guess it shouldn't be that surprising. He's an all-star level player, future Hall of Famer, I believe. Kevin Love has really stepped up to fill that second scorer position on this team. Not sure what it's going to be like when Isaiah Thomas gets back, but he's averaging his career best with the Cavs. Shooting best from the floor, 46.6%, you know, up around 37% from three, 88% from the free throw line where his free throw rate is up. Tell me what you're seeing out of Kevin Love this year. It's always criminal to me that he goes under the radar and we don't talk about how good of a player he is. But this year more than ever, I kind of feel like we're seeing that and I'm not hearing anything about him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just kind of the way it's going to be. I don't think people are ever going to fully appreciate it. By the way, I love hearing sirens in the background of your my of your video <laughs> yeah fellow as some as a fellow city dweller because um, my first apartment in chicago was like two blocks away from a hospital so it was just permanently sirens every time i tried to record a pod I lived on the second floor with like really poorly sealed windows so it's just sirens like i can't tell you how frustrated it used to make me so I'm feeling some like city synergy. It's background noise for me, and I know that it probably comes in louder than your voice is going to come in when I'm producing and recording this, so it's it's frustrating. I have a precinct right behind my building. I live in the middle of Queens, New York, so yeah, I I can't avoid that, guys. I apologize. 
no, no, I, I genuinely am getting a kick out of it because I'm like, <laughs> oh, I remember the struggle. Anyway, uh, back to Kevin Love. Uh, Justin Rowan uh, just wrote a really, really good piece for Fear the Sword about Love and, and his quiet production. I mean, he's playing less minutes this year, uh, two fewer minutes per game, but he's got a rebound percentage of 20.2. He's shooting a lot less threes, uh, and I think part of that is a byproduct of playing the center full-time where Jay Crowder can space and he can play down low a little bit more. Excuse me. Uh, he, he's he got a free throw rate of 40, uh, 0.431, uh, which is he posted 3.32 last year. So it's, you know, it's a full uh, 10 points higher. Uh, and then he's, he's shooting less. He's uh, getting 9.3% of his field goals off cuts. So, I mean, he was only doing 3.9% of his field goals off cuts last year. So they're changing the way they're using him uh, in a way that has been really effective. I mean, they're using him off ball. They're letting him use his foot speed against slower centers. When he's got bigger lumbering guys, they're, they're setting off ball screens for him and allowing him to flash to the rim. Uh, they're, they're just using him a lot more creatively. And I think uh, Tyron Liu actually deserves a lot of credit for the way he's kind of changed this team's identity. Uh, they, they really are scoring in a lot of different ways uh, than they have been in the past. This is obviously a team that's famous for its ISOs, and that was never as bad as people thought it was uh, because I think sometimes NBA Twitter gets a little bit of a hive mind. It's like, everyone must play the right way, the same way. And it's like, no, there's a lot of paths up the mountain. The Cavs have had one of the best offenses in the league for like five years now, or I guess three years because <laughs> you know, LeBron's been back. Uh <laughs> Uh, but they've had one of the best offenses in the league for three years playing ISO ball because LeBron and Kyrie were amazing at it. But with Kyrie gone, Tyron Lue had to get creative, and he's built in a ton of sets for Kyle Korver, leveraging his shooting, built in a lot of sets for Love to, to flash to the rim for easy cuts. Jeff Green has been a really active cutter. Dwayne Wade is one of the best cutters in the league. So uh, the way the offense has morphed this season I think has naturally – worked really well for love i am interested to see if his offense goes back to kind of what it was prior if they put tristan thompson back in the starting lineup once he's healthy but as of now he's been really good and it's a really thankless job fighting joel Embiid for 36 minutes fighting dwight howard for 30 minutes when you're kevin love who's really never played center full time and he's got a famously bulky back and like I'm just like sometimes after like late in those games where he's fighting these behemoths for rebounding position and post-ups, I'm like, man, you look really tired. <laughs> you, you look very sore right now. <laughs> but you have to you have to appreciate the sacrifice uh, that he's made. For sure. And he's just, again, a guy who never gets credit for anything and somebody who people love to say he can't play the center full time. He's He's not big enough or he's not tough enough to do it. And we're really watching him do it this year. A lot of things are coming together for this team where there was so much panic around them. The Cavs, I mean, I know it's different not having David Griffin around where they've had him the last couple of years, but the last couple of years we've seen them kind of be big second half buyers and, and adding veterans to the team, making up for, you know, missing pieces that, that they haven't had, some of the weaknesses. What's something or, or who are some players that you'd realistically like for them to target as they try to make a championship push this year? Or, or do you think that this this year we're not really going to see that from this Cavs team? What, what do you see from, from this roster in terms of roster building as the season progresses? Well, I get the impression, at least for me, this is a, one of the more complete Cavs teams we've seen in a while. 
uh, once they're healthy. Uh, you have your you know rim protecting, defensive rebounding big in Tristan. You've got your small ball four in Jay. You've got your backup point guard in Wade. Uh, you've got your bench wings and Jeff Green and Kyle Korver. Uh, you've got your shooter in Jr. You've got LeBron. You, you've got you've got your you know your volume point guard in in Isaiah. You've got all the archetypes mostly set at this point uh, in a way that has not been the case in years past. Like they really needed an extra wing, and when they went and got Korver, they really needed a backup point guard when they went and chased Darren Williams. Uh, Obviously, they needed everything when they traded for J.R. Shump and Mozgov in the first place three years ago. Uh, this team is different in that capacity where there aren't a ton of glaring holes in production. Uh, and the ones that the guys who aren't producing are the guys you kind of just need to produce. Like, J.R.'s had a really tough year, but like you're not just going to go chase a starting shooting guard. Like You just need to say, hey, J.R., you need to play better. Uh so my feeling is that if they're making a move, it's a conglomeration move for an upgrade in the rotation. Uh, they have 11 guys that could probably play for them, and that's too many guys. Uh, I think they'll probably have to go down to a 10-man rotation once everyone's healthy, and that means uh, Iman Shumpert doesn't get to play anymore, Derek Rose doesn't get to play anymore, uh, Jose Calderon doesn't get to play anymore, Jetty Osmond doesn't get to play anymore. Uh, and that's and that's going to be tough to find minutes for everyone with 10. Uh so my feeling is that, first off, I think they're going to look for a, a, Nets, a Nets pick trade. Uh, but they're not going to give it away unless it's a blue chipper coming back, uh, Paul George or maybe a Marcus Gasol. Uh, though on our podcast recently, Matt Moore of uh, you know Hardwood Paroxysm and CBS Sports was saying like he thinks if Gasol gets traded, it won't even take the Brooklyn pick uh, if it gets that ugly in Memphis. But I think they'll be looking for a big fish here because – they're so good at the margins right now. Uh, what I think is interesting about their off about their about their trade deadline, which is I think sixty days away now, uh, which is crazy that it's coming up that fast. Uh, I think that if they aren't able to move the Brooklyn pick, what do you do? Because you have the Brooklyn pick and you have your own pick, and if you move one, you can't move the other until the day of the draft. So if they don't have uh, a deal in place for that Brooklyn pick on deadline day. How aggressively are they going to look to to swing that other pick for maybe another wing or maybe a rim protecting center? Uh, and you know how much value does that you know the twenty seventh pick of the draft have? I don't know. Uh, they they're they're in a really weird spot here. We're adding another Kyle Korver quality player, which is who they got with their first round pick a couple or last year. Uh, I don't know how much that moves the needle for them. I don't. Do you agree with that? Like, given where their rotation is, I mean, it's always nice to have more useful players for matchups and stuff. But like, I don't know. Sure, I, I agree with you that you look at this roster and it does look like they have all the pieces that that you would think that you know a team would would be looking to have. It, you don't look at the team and say they need a, a backup point guard. You know the points you made about they've gone out these last couple of years and traded for the things they've needed. So they're not in a position to do that this year. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, especially you have guys like Channing Frye who are still playing so well. Kyle Korver is still playing so well. Backup point guard might be an issue, but maybe it's less of an issue when you get Isaiah Thomas back, who I'm kind of viewing as the big addition to this team for the second half of the season. Granted, he could be healthy, play well for them. I, I just, I, 
I know we're, we're looking at rumors with, with this team making trades, and I, I saw Marcus Gasol's name pop up. I'm trying to think who else I saw. Somebody kind of underwhelming, a wing uh, being tied to this team. I, I can't remember who it is, but I, I don't know that you try to upgrade J.R. Smith because they've committed to J.R. Smith, and J.R.'s worked out really well for them up until this season. So it's kind of, yep. it's kind of tough to, to just give up on him here. But what I'm interested in what you're saying is that you get the feeling they're going to trade the Nets pick. What, what do you think the, the motive behind trading the Nets pick is? Is it more for keeping LeBron around long term, trying to get a guy who could put them over the top this year? I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't think that anybody would want to move that pick. What, why do you think the Cavs might? Well, to be clear, I think that's what they'll look to do to find a big fit. I don't think they'll move it for any. So, I mean, Windhorst, uh, Brian Windhorst was on ESPN Cleveland fairly recently and Someone asked about maybe flipping that Nets pick for someone like Marcus Gasol, and he said something along the lines of, "They're going to let this OKC situation play out, and if it's still ugly around the deadline, they, they're going to keep their powder dry until they're sure they can't get Paul George." Um, because that, I think that's the Cavs. If we're looking at the most optimal scenario for the Cavaliers. That is the most optimal scenario. Um, you flip the Brooklyn pick for Paul George without really thinking much about it, and you and you bet that you will that this team is good enough to convince LeBron and George to stay. Now you can work out some kind of backroom deals along the way, but it's probably unlikely you're going to get a full LeBron commitment. But I think that's the the pipe dream. I think that's the the move out there that helps them the most against the Warriors. And, you know, I think it will have to be pretty ugly in OKC for that to happen. But at some point, if you're Sam Bresti, you do have to think, man, I just lost Kevin Durant for nothing. I just traded, uh, you know, two rotation players. Yeah, Victor Oladipo looks like the most improved player in the NBA, and then no, I just I just traded Oladipo and Sabonis, who looks very good as well, and I and we're going to be the eighth seed or the seventh seed and get run in the first round, and Paul George is going to leave to go to L.A. Like at some point, you're going to have to just say, "All right, uh, let's try to flip this for a positive asset," because I mean, ultimately, the whole point of the summer for the Thunder wasn't to win the title, even though that's probably the public thing. Uh, outlook. I think their their goal of the offseason was don't lose Russ. Yeah, and they didn't. They locked him up uh, for to a mega max extension. And I just think at some point they're going to learn the lesson of getting burned in the past. Something they don't like to do in OKC and consider trading him if they don't if they don't right the ship soon. So that's the goal for the Cavs, I think. Uh, but I don't think they'll just move it just to move it. I think that in a lot of ways. Uh, Dan Gilbert views that pick as a lifeline uh, when LeBron, when and if LeBron leaves. Uh, and plus, I mean, it's a really good draft, even though the Nets are winning too damn much. Uh, <laughs> they traded for Jalil Okafor, so that's going to stop soon. Don't worry. I really am hoping. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a valuable uh, piece, and I don't think they'll move it for just anything. But if if, you, if it's a top-tier star like Paul George, that also is exactly what they need to get to the Warriors. Uh, I mean, I don't think. I mean, feel free to disagree, but I, I, if I were Kobe Altman, I would, I would throw Jay Crowder, Iman Shumpert, and the Brooklyn pick to OKC without thinking about it. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I do think Paul George is really the ideal fit if you want to get past Golden State. I don't even know that you need him to, to get through the Eastern Conference, which which I'll ask you. There is your answer. My next question, should the Cavs be considered conference favorites moving forward? I'll get to that in a sec. Yeah, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense, and it's tough to panic about OKC. I really like the point that you made about, you know, maybe public perception was these moves were, were to get to the finals or to, to get to the Western Conference finals or really progress in the playoffs. I really wasn't buying into it. I, I didn't know how it was all going to work out, but it's clear that Paul George is a very, very good player with a very, very uncertain future, and I don't know that it's a priority for the Thunder to hold on to him as opposed to you know worry about what they can get back for him. Carmelo Anthony could also opt out of his contract. I don't know that he'd give up that money, but there's no certain future in OKC. So, yeah, I mean, that, that would make a lot of sense. We, we've seen Paul George's name kind of attached to the Cavs over the last year with all of his trade, you know, rumors. So I, I think that that's feasible. And I think that that's definitely the upgrade that, you know, we were kind of alluding to where they're just looking to upgrade that core and, you know, kind of flip some of their core players or rotation players rather into a more solid starter. I mean, I don't know that you get better than Paul George. Definitely, definitely some, definitely interesting. And I also don't know that Marcus Soule's the big fish that they would need. I don't know that he you know, I don't want to say he doesn't fit with LeBron. I don't know that he fills the role that they would need him to fill with some of the other strengths that they have. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one. And I, I've been arguing with Justin uh, and actually Matt Moore of uh, CBS Sports, who was on our last pod. And we kind of, yeah, I was kind of the anti-Gasol. They were the pro-Gasol. Uh, I, I do think it's worth noting that Mark Gasol has historically given the Warriors fits. Uh, they have a really hard time with him. Uh, and he anchors the defense in a way that the Cavs don't have anyone that does that historically. Uh, but he's really old, and he's really expensive, and he just got one of LeBron's best friends fired. So it's probably not happening. Right, right. I, I, I also don't know that... Uh, the thing, thing with Paul George that I think is interesting is that if they do decide to try to recoup value, if, they, if they're just... If Paul George comes in, and something that's kind of nice for the Thunder is Paul George is very upfront with the Pacers about what he wanted to do. He told them at the beginning of this past summer with a year left on his contract, hey, I'm not going to stay here, so you should probably trade me. Uh, get some value for me. Um, and, you know, if he if they if they have a frank conversation with him a week before the deadline, hey, are you going to stick around or are you going to you know go for greener pastures? And he can't give you a good, like even like a decent assurance that there's a chance he'll stay. Uh, who's beating the Cavs' offer? Yeah, no, that they have they have the draw for Wild right now with that pick. I mean, that that can kind of get them anything they want. They have movable contracts of players that aren't just terrible albatross contracts. They, they have a lot going no for else. them, and no one else is reckless enough. <laughs> like that's like, that matters. Like the Cavs will pick, take a pretty effing huge swing on a guy like Paul George who has half a season left on his contract that I don't think any other contender is willing to do. For sure, yeah, rightfully so. Right. No, no half measures coming out of Cleveland, I don't think, especially with this potentially being, you know, the, the last year of the window or the last year of LeBron, which we'll, we'll get to in a sec. But first, I mean, we were so worried about the Cavs through the first few weeks of the season. There was reason to be worried. These guys are never going to be a plus defensive team. LeBron just doesn't have the shooters. The spacing is uncomfortable. Those have all been alleviated. So are we at a point now where the Cavs are the conference favorites moving forward? Yeah, they are. I mean, I never thought they weren't really. Uh, I thought the odds were getting a little closer, you know. Like, I do think there was that there was more cause for concern than 
in years past, I think, because we had so many new pieces that we were seeing and that we that there was no Kyrie anymore. So a lot of those constants that just made you pencil the Cavs into the finals weren't there anymore. But, you know, ultimately, it's pretty clear to me that they should be favored above uh, ahead of the Celtics. I mean, the Celtics with uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum shooting fairly unsustainably well from three. I think Tatum's still above 50%. So, I mean, I guess if he's just a 50% three-point shooter, then whatever. But something tells me that's unlikely. Uh, and Jalen Brown probably isn't like a 45% three-point shooter. Like, they didn't just become Kyle Korver. Uh, with them shooting unsustainably well, they're up around something like, I think, like 17th in offensive rating. Right. Uh, I think that's the kind of offense that chokes out in the in the playoffs. And, you know, next year when Hayward's back, assuming he's back to you know, something close to 100%, then they're really scary. But in the meantime, like, I'm sorry, Marcus Smart gets schemed off the floor in most playoff games. Um, Jalen Brown, I don't think, is quite ready to defend LeBron. I don't think he knows how to leverage his physicality against LeBron yet. I think he's better against the more live players in the league. Uh, a bulldozer like LeBron, I think he still has a hard time with. And uh, Al Horford is still legally Tristan Thompson's son. <laughs> After three years of completely erasing him. I think I think it was uh, two years ago, Al Horford had 12 rebounds over a four-game series. Right. Against the Cavs. Like, he doesn't do a good job with Tristan. He never has. Uh, and that's just a tough matchup for him, uh, historically. And... They are going to need Al Horford to be great if they want to beat the Cavs. They're going to need Kyrie to be amazing if they want to beat the Cavs. And something that Tyron Liu has always done a really nice job of uh, in the playoffs is scheming defensively to and just not guarding your non-threats. And on the other end, just ruthlessly attacking your bad defenders. Like, Kyrie will not get... Uh, Kyrie will find no quarter here. I mean, look at what they did to Steph Curry in the 2016 Finals. Right. It was just ruthless, ruthlessly getting him forcing switches or putting him in bad spots until he either fouled or gave up. <laughs> like it wasn't. It was. It was cruel what they did to Curry in that Finals, and I think that's what they do to bad te- to bad defenders. Uh, they don't have the gorgeous Golden State offense. I don't think anyone will ever pretend they do, but they are really good at exploiting mismatches and weak links on your defense and that's what they'll probably do against boston so uh of course you know it's basketball anything can happen they have to go really cold for four or five games uh sure maybe it could happen but i'm certainly not betting it on betting on it are you uh i'm definitely not betting on it i don't bet against lebron unless it's against the warriors i really like you giving credit to tyron lu here talking about what the Cavs do well and kind of some of their successes I think people too often try to simplify this Cavs team's success on, well, duh, they have LeBron, what do you expect? You know, really great points that you're making, especially about Tristan Thompson, you know, being a handful come playoff time. And it's it's a different beast in the regular season, the playoff time. And that's kind of one of the things we were talking about a little bit earlier, how the Cavs, you know, sleepwalk through the regular season until something lights a fire on them and they go on a crazy win streak. And then it's like, oh yeah, they're, they're really good. They're better than everybody else. I do expect them to continue to kind of roll through the Eastern Conference, but you know, I, I I'm asking you if you're they're your favorites. We both agree that they should be favorites. The one team that you brought up that that could give them a hard time though is Boston. 
Are they the team that scares you the most in this conference? Is there anybody else outside of Boston who you think has a shot of getting to the finals? Or are we really looking at another year of, you know, Cleveland versus Boston and Boston not really holding a candle to them? Milwaukee will always be the memorial. I don't want to effing play that team uh, award winner. <laughs> like, I do not want to touch Giannis in the playoffs. Like, because Giannis, more than anyone else in the East, has the chance to be, if things break right, which is not likely, but if things break right, the best player in the series. Right. Like, Giannis could outplay LeBron over five, six games. That's possible. It's not likely, but it's possible. Do you really think it's possible that Kyrie outplays LeBron over six, seven games? I don't. I don't really see it with John Wall. I don't really see it with uh, Kyle Lowry or DeMar DeRozan. But Giannis, that man is terrifying. And the limited roster around him uh, keeps them from being great. But in terms of just a team I just don't want any part of because I don't want the variance and the chance of Giannis just going supernova, yeah, I don't want to play the Bucks. Yeah, we saw that uh, against the Raptors in the first round last year where Giannis just went bonkers in game one and you're sitting there thinking, oh my God, the, Buc- the Bucks could be scary already in the playoffs this year just because you get a guy out there. I mean, like we saw LeBron do early in his career, you get a guy out there who regardless of what he has around him can just dominate games, take over games and you feel helpless almost. And I think Giannis is definitely one of those players. The Bucks have been that team that's just been on my radar all season of, man, if they could just add a couple pieces or if a couple guys really step up, like they could, they could leapfrog these other teams in the Eastern Conference. They could leapfrog the the Wizards, who have zero depth behind you know their their backcourt and their their wings, who are really really good, but they just they don't have the depth. Toronto, I mean, I know last year they kind of pieced things together, and we're seeing them together for a full season now with Serge Ibaka in the fold. Some of their young big guys are playing a little bit better, but not going to believe in Kyle Lowry and Demar Derozan come playoff time until they actually do something. Speaking of Marcus All. They should be the top suitors. They probably have the pieces, and he would fit really well with that team. Correct. I would. I think that's that. That is the spot. If he if he hits the trade market, I don't think any. I think they should make sure nobody beats their bid. I can't imagine Memphis trades him after giving up on on Fizz already. Uh, what a mess that is. I well, that dude's trying to get out. Did you see his comments last night? Yeah. The whole team. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. Man, he is. He's miserable. Like. Like, have you watched many Grizzlies games recently? And I hope you haven't, because it's horrible to watch. But they lost to they lost to the Knicks earlier this week, and in, in Tim Hardaway Jr.'s first game, missed, and the Knicks kind of blew them out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you'll if you watch them play, his body language is as poor as I've ever seen it. He'll you know kind of set up a nice corner three for a teammate, and even if it's like you know not that good of a shooter, and they clank it, like I mean, he's throwing his hands in the air, his shoulders slump. Like, I mean, he's really, like, selling, like, he's, like, the worst pickup teammate that you have when you go run. It's like, like, he'll set you up for a shot, and you'll be like, shoot it! And you, and if you just, if you just miss, which happens most of the time in pickup, he, like, does that, like, like, god damn it! It's like, well, come on, man! Nobody wants to play with that guy. Nobody wants to be around that guy. Well, that's Marcus all right now. <laughs> and, like, he, I think he's trying to get his way out. I really do, like. Like he's like I've never seen him this demonstrably unhappy with his own team. Yeah, um, it's bad. They've gone through to force his way out. I think he's over it. They've gone through a lot of changes, and it's gotten pretty ugly in Memphis. And I mean, injuries will do that too. He hasn't necessarily been a model of health either. And I mean, it can't be can't be fun not having Mike Mike Conley around either. What what a mess that team is. It's it's a bummer. 
let's wrap things up. This has been a lot of fun talking NBA with you. I, I love getting a Cavs voice on because I just, I'm constantly talking about the Cavs. They're so compelling. When I was a kid, I'm a Knicks fan. I'm from New York City. I hated Michael Jordan. I just couldn't appreciate him despite how great he was because he always killed my team. I don't really experience that with LeBron because the Knicks just haven't been relevant in, in LeBron's you know prime. So it, it hasn't been a problem for me loving LeBron, appreciating LeBron, following LeBron around. One of the few luxuries of following a crap team, like no one, you wouldn't like wish following a bad team on your worst enemy, but nonetheless, it has some perks and it's like you get to just enjoy fun things in the league. Like you don't, you don't have to watch Giannis and be like, man, I hope how we're going to beat him (laughs) or like, or even like the Warriors, like you can have a little fun with the, with like the rise of the Warriors where I'm just like, damn it, they're going to be really good. They're going to be really good. The the NBA is the easiest league to watch objectively. It's not even close. Totally, totally agree. With that said, I mean, you know, we're, we've been dancing around it a little bit. You know, we talked about it with, with the Nets pick. LeBron's potentially a free agent at the end of this year. We're not really sure of his future. Talking to somebody who covers this Cavs team, loves this Cavs team. I mean, what, what do you see LeBron's future looking like? What does your heart believe we're going to see for LeBron, you know, come come June, July? Well, I think that... People who pretend stuff is preordained, I think they're pretty dumb. Uh, not to be a dick, but I think they're dumb. I think LeBron doesn't preordain things because he's not dumb. Like, LeBron, like, will create, like, we've seen it. He's laid groundwork for a move to L.A. if he so chooses. Um, but he hasn't decided uh, because that would be stupid because he didn't know what Blonzo Ball was going to look like or what Brandon Ingram was going to grow into. Or, you know, like, you know, you, the NBA is so variable. So to try to pretend like anyone has a three-year plan in advance, it just doesn't really work that way. So I think we have to see the season play out and see how this, these playoffs look, see what the Cavs do. Um, but ultimately, I wouldn't be surprised to see him opt out of his contract and sign one more one plus one, uh, even if... Uh, even if his plan is to stay long-term, even if his plan is to leave long-term. Uh, because I don't think the Lakers are ready yet. And I don't think, given the way he's performing, I think, would you say it's fair to agree, even if they add Paul George and him to that Lakers core that's not good right now and young, and LeBron's never wanted to play with young players, I mean, that's that's not good enough to like win the West. They might be the third-best team in the West. That could be right. putting it. That could be putting it kindly too. I mean, this Lakers yeah, team that's is the, that's rose-colored glasses, right? So, you look at this objectively. LeBron is still really, really good. If he wasn't really, really good, I think it would be okay and easier to stomach. Okay, I'm going to transition to the next phase of my career. I'm going to go, going to get away from Dan Gilbert, who I don't like, and I'm going to try to, you know, develop my business stuff while playing in LA and making a shit ton of money. Right now, he's still really good, and uh, I don't really see any other locations for him other than L.A. I mean, some have brought up Philly, and Philly's going to make a push, but I think the fit with Ben Simmons is pretty wonky. Yep. Uh, I think some people have brought up San Antonio, but I think if we learned anything from the Miami era, and if you read anything uh, from his decision to leave Miami is that this dude is the most self-reliant person on earth, and he is not interested in being part of your thing. He wants to be the thing. Uh, he, uh, you'll you'll read reports that like 
I remember in uh, Brian Windhorst and Dave McMenamin's really good book, Return of the King, uh, they talked about how, you know, a lot of people thought James leaving the Heat had something to do with a falling out with Pat Riley, but they said that he never had a falling in with Pat Riley. Like, Riley tried to, like, get him under his wing, like, part of the Miami Mafia, like, a bunch of times, and LeBron was like, nah, this is like a business thing. <laughs> like, LeBron doesn't want to be in your Mafia. And if you go to San Antonio, you're joining Pop's thing. And Pop is in charge. And Pop has all the control. LeBron wants control. I think he won one his own way, so he knows it can happen. And I don't think he's particularly interested in being under anyone's thumb ever again. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, I do. I, I really love all the points you made about potential teams that he'd wind up going to also. I mean... The Spurs have kind of come on as that team for me where it's like, well, I don't think, I agree with you. LeBron's not at a point where he's going to transition into that next phase of, yeah, ba- basketball could almost be secondary to whatever else I have going on in life. Let's start preparing for what's next. I think LeBron still just wants a championship more than anything else. And the big question is, where can he go to get it if it's not Cleveland? And just right now, I, I don't think the league is set up where there's one team that's a LeBron away from getting past Golden State. I think Golden State's just that much better than everybody else, and I apologize. I think the Spurs are. I think they're, right, they're, they're as close as it gets. Too many other factors. How are they going to clear the room? Like, it's a, it's a really messy process there. I, I agree with you, and that, that's kind of why I've had the Spurs as that team that might make sense. I don't think there's a team out east that does. Like you said with Philadelphia, they, they're fun. I actually love that team. Big Ben Simmons guy have been, you know, since the first time I, I watched him as a high school player, but Ben Simmons and LeBron do, you know, similar things. And we're not talking about a Sixers team that, you know, is, is very good without LeBron and gets LeBron and he puts him over the top. We're talking about a team that's still, you know, three to five years away from maybe being very good. Too much uncertainty with them. Way yeah, too point differential is zero this year. Right. Way too much uncertainty with the Lakers too. Also don't know that he wants to go, you know, be a part of what Kobe had going on and be a part of Lakers culture. I feel like, you know, what you said where LeBron wants to do his own thing, going to the Lakers is very counterintuitive to that. So I just don't know where that that fit is for him and that's that's what makes this so interesting for me is that there isn't there isn't, you know, a team or a player or a situation where it's like, yeah, this is this should be next for LeBron. And that that's part of the reason why, you know, it's so easy to be speculative about this because you look at the Cavs situation and I don't know how much of its narrative storyline where he doesn't like Dan Gilbert. He wasn't happy with how things played out this past offseason. You know, he, it was surprising he ever came back to Cleveland based on the way he left the organization. I don't know how much of that is just, you know, convenient narrative and makes for a more interesting story of us to think, yeah, he's going to leave as soon as he can. I just don't know. I And that that's kind of what you're saying, too, is who knows? And you're you're crazy stupid even if you're pretending you do know. But it sure is fun to speculate. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, I... That's why I kind of just keep going back to the, the, the assigning an extra one plus one is really, I think, the smart thing to do. Because even if he has, because eventually he's going to just have to sign one more max deal, right, uh, to insulate against decline. But he's not declining yet. So you can probably get away with one more one plus one, let the league take its shape, and figure out where you want to go the next summer. Because right now it's, it just seems like you're forcing it to move him out. And, you know, I mean, I think if he leaves, it really, to me, what that says is he is just over Dan Gilbert, and it's nothing else. 
uh, because I don't really think there's a better chance to win than the one he's got in Cleveland, even though Cleveland isn't that good of a chance to win just because of how good Golden State is. But, I, I mean, unless, I mean, maybe he MacGyvers his way to Houston, but I doubt it. And, you know, Houston isn't even Houston anymore once they give up all they have to give up to create that room. Right. Uh, so I just don't really see it. And so for now, I guess my official prediction is another one plus one. And we'll get to do this song and dance again. <laughs> Sounds good. Appreciate it while while we have it. You know, I, I like to take everything one day at a time, especially NBA basketball and, and how great it's been lately. How, how top heavy it is. I mean, I enjoy it. I enjoy having, you know, the the Cavs being as great of a team as they are with the Warriors and, you know, whatever else you have going on at the top of the Western Conference. I think it's a lot of fun. I enjoy the power struggle, even though it seems like the Warriors have, you know, a stranglehold on the league. But that's what makes it fun to think LeBron is still just this generational great player who maybe can put a team over the top and get past this all-time great team that we're watching out in Golden State. Let's wrap question. it up. Yeah, let, let's question. go for it. Question. Is he the GOAT if they win against the Warriors? If he beats the Warriors? It's so tough. It's so tough because I just don't, I don't like having this conversation. I think he's number two, number three at worst. He's a top three player all time for me. Jordan being undefeated in the finals is just such a leg up that I don't know anybody could ever get past. But at the same time, I mean, we downplay LeBron getting to the finals as frequently as he has. I don't know what else he could do to to get above Jordan. It's It's not easy for me to dissect. I just don't know. I can't. I can't give you an answer. I want to say yes. I want to say beating this Warriors team would be that thing, especially doing it at this stage of his career. But at the same time, I I don't want to diminish him getting to the finals as much as he has and really performing the way he has in these finals. Yeah, I mean, I I just think beating them. I mean, I'm of the opinion that this this Warriors team is the best team ever, the most talented team ever. Same. We will never see a team this good ever again. And as a result, if anyone beats them, they get major bonus (laughs) points for me. Well, if it could be anybody, I really hope it's LeBron because I, 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 dude, I I love LeBron. I can't say it enough. I just, it's been fun being able to not hate the best player in the league and a generational talent because that was my childhood as a Knicks fan against Michael Jordan. So I'm always rooting for LeBron at the same time. I I love watching the greatness in Golden State. I think it's what makes this version of the NBA, this era of the NBA so freaking good, but I, I'm rooting for your Cavs moving forward because the Knicks are not a threat this year. I hope they're able to get to another finals. I hope we can have a good finals, a competitive finals, and uh, we'll see what happens after that. But Carter, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. This was a blast. You have so much good information, so much good insight. Everybody, make sure you are following Carter on Twitter at Carter underscore Shade. That's at Carter underscore Shade. Follow, subscribe, listen to the Chase Down pod. You could find that on Twitter at Chase Down Pod. Carter, you got any shout outs you want to give? Anything you want to plug before we hang up? Yeah, just had to fear the sword uh, dot com to to read all of our really good analysis. Uh, we've been on uh, Best of SB Nation like five times in the last week, so our writers are just killing it right now. Uh, and of course, please check out the pod. Justin and I uh, we record weekly. Uh, we don't just talk Cavs; we talk about the whole league. So. Uh, you know, it's with, you know, through through Cavs, wine and gold colored glasses, but still uh, we, we tackle the whole league. We have regular guests on. We've had Brian Windhorst on this year. We've had Matt Moore of CBS Sports on this year, had Zach Harper on. Uh, so we have good guests. Uh, we have fun. Uh, and please give us a listen. The Chase Down. Guys, make sure you're doing that. Carter, thanks again. Have a great weekend, man. Thank you.
Long range, I've been killing on the blacktop. Hey. AI cross hunting rappers like a backdrop. So nice Clock ticking, I'm the one. Take the last shot. Couple hey. chairs for him. Got your shorty like a mascot. You, Never ask, I'm just feeling what that ass got. Yeah. These have not tap my neck like an ascot. Uh, hundred grand up in my dash hop with more K's than dash got. You living in a glass box. I'm on point, Steve Nash. Box. Destroy your track like I'm Hancock. Now I'm pulling tops down like